0: God's name is indeed glorious. I'd love to just start with a quick word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come again before you this morning asking that you would soften our hearts, open our ears and eyes as we close out the book of Jonah this morning. I pray that we've learned much, and I pray that as we'll talk about today, that we'll have learned more about who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You ever been to the grocery store and witnessed a kid melting down? You're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, how are the parents going to handle this one? And all the parents there are thinking, been there, sorry, good luck. (laughs) Or maybe you've been to a friend's house and they've got kids and those kids decide that they're going to test the parent or parents by doing something that they shouldn't. You're then stuck in the awkward position of waiting to see how that, how, what the parental response is going to be. And if you're the parent and that's in that scenario, you're thinking, how am I going to deal with this one? Do I die on this hill now or do I let it slide so my guest doesn't think I'm a harsh parent? Whatever it might be. Or maybe you're at home one day doing some housework and you hear a loud crash and your football-playing 200-plus-pound teenage son and his larger friend have broken into a spontaneous wrestling match only to end up being tackled onto the bed, shattering the frame. May or may not have been a real-life scenario (laughs) for my mom. How are you going to deal with that one, right? We're faced every day with scenarios that leave us wondering how we're going to handle it, how we're going to deal with something. Some laughable, some so serious that we don't really have any clue, some that break our hearts, and some that even might leave us numb. Today I want to ask the question how does God deal with us? How does God deal with us and really all humanity? God has created us, right? And he watches over us in the entire world, so we can reasonably ask how God handles that and how he generally deals with us. Well, as you recall, we've been in the book of Jonah this summer, and today we're going to finish the book, and what we're going to find is an answer to that question, how God deals with us, with all of humanity. And what we'll see here, as we've said throughout this whole series, that The book of Jonah isn't about a fish, it isn't about Israel or Nineveh, it isn't about Jonah even, it's about God and reveals further who he is and how he deals with us. So again, how does God deal with all humanity? Turn with me into uh, the book of Jonah chapter 4, we're in the book of Jonah chapter 4 to close out our series today. Jonah 4, starting in verse 5. And what we're going to do is read together, really in two movements. I'm going to point out things and summarize for us as we go. The answer to the question that I've posed is, again, how does God deal with us? So we're going to look at 4, 5 through 8, and then 4, 9 through 11, and kind of summarize as we go, point out textual clues as to how God deals with us. Read with me in verse 5. Jonah went out to the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what become of the city. Again, pause with me. Reminder, what has happened is Jonah has gone and preached to Nineveh, and they have repented, and Jonah gets really mad about that. And as we Looked at last week, he was angry. He was very mad and he said that it's better for him to die than to live. And then all of a sudden, uh, God says, do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah, in a silent response back like in Jonah chapter one, where he just walks away, he walks away again to the east of the city and he looks to see what would become of of the city. We'll touch on that in a second. Read with me verse six. Now the Lord God appointed a plant And said, it is better for me to die than to live. So again, how does God deal with us? A couple of things to highlight in the text before I summarize. Is Jonah went east of the city. Jonah went east of the city. And generally when we look at the book of Genesis and elsewhere in the Old Testament, going eastward is away from God. Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the, out of the garden, out of the, out of the place of Eden, to the east Right When Cain is uh, cursed after he kills his brother Abel, he goes to the east. The people who build the Tower of Babel are heading east to the land of Shinar, right? So east is generally associated with leaving God's presence. And now here we have Jonah leaving God's presence again, just like he did in chapter 1. A silent protest. He walks out and he goes and makes a booth for himself. Again, we don't exactly know what this booth was like, but it provided some shade but we're going to find out that it didn't provide all the shade. And he was happy about the plant. So he goes and he <clears throat> sits under it to see what would become of the city. So not only does Jonah go east, away from the presence of the God, but he goes to see what would happen to Nineveh, right? Why, why, why point that out? Why, why, why do this? Remember, Jonah says in the uh, previous verses that it is better for me to die than to live. Right? He says to, to the Lord, please take my life. And we think that that's what settled it. Well, here's what happens now in verse 5. Jonah leaves the city expecting that God's going to choose me over Nineveh. Or maybe Nineveh will end up going and you know, going back into their wicked ways, and God will bring his swift judgment. So Jonah goes, thinking that God's going to make a decision, that, that he, just as he changed his mind to relent from the disaster that he was going to bring he would maybe do the same thing and turn about and bring judgment upon Nineveh. (laughs) So he's throwing himself a little pity party east of the city, waiting to see what would happen. Again, he's leaving the presence of God. And yet, something staggering happens. God doesn't leave him, just like in Jonah 1. God appoints, Appoints, appoints. Have you guys caught that language here in this last chapter and elsewhere in the book of Jonah? God appointed a fish to come swallow Jonah. God now appoints a plant to come up over Jonah. He also appoints a scorching east wind. He also appoints a worm to come and attack the plant. God is using all of his creation to make a point to Jonah, to teach him, I think, an object lesson about his mercy and justice. God appoints and also attacks. And really, God appointing the plant for the shade is a showing of his mercy upon Jonah. And then God appointing a worm to attack it is also God's justice. And then the scorching east wind upon him is God's justice God's working with Jonah to teach him something, to show him something. And at the end of that, Jonah again repeats what he said in the previous verses. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's at, at like a rock bottom. He, he, he really doesn't want to deal with God. And in fact, he's, he's angry at him. He's livid. He's scorching hot, mad that God has even spared Nineveh. And yet, here we go, God is willing to work with him by using creation to speak with him and to show him something about himself. Really, again, what it's telling us, I think, theologically, is that our transcendent God actively reaches us where we're at. Our transcendent God actively reaches us where we're at. Look again back in the book of Genesis and elsewhere. God comes to Abram out of the land of Ur. Abram was a pagan, and he's brought and becomes the, uh, the man who helped start the nation of Israel. Then you have Jacob, who ends up needing a lesson about God and, and wrestling, right? You then have the law that is given to Israel. Generally, the law is seen as something where, hey, here are the do's and don'ts. But we should see the law actually as God reaching out to humanity, saying, to a young infant nation, Israel here's how you dwell with me. I want to show you how to do that so I can be present with you. God is reaching out to them with the law to show them, here's how you live with me. We also hear of stories outside of the Bible. God reaching people who are across the world. You think of those who are Muslims, who have had visions of Christ. I've heard numerous stories about that instance, where they've seen some man and they don't quite know who he is and come to know at a later date through that vision and dream that that was to them and also in that moment through revealing and talking with Christians and different things like that, Christ. God is actively going through that. And then even this, something for our congregation to cling to and remember. When we wander When maybe our children wander, God can still use what was taught in your household. Again, wandering from the Christian faith, use what was taught in your household in this very church and tap into people's memories and bring back those childhood gospel presentations. I can think of uh, a person who said that they had kind of heard it uh, recently in Denver. A man was talking about how he had kind of heard it growing up. And through you know even just his distorted family home and his and his father's um, hypocrisy and things like that, he still was able to say, "God, I need help. I realize I'm broken. Please come save me." While he was in the midst of solitary confinement in prison, God meets us where we're at. He accommodates to us. He learns with us. Again, um, or not, he doesn't learn with it. He works with us. And I don't think that that injures God or, or, or lessens God in some way, right? I mean, I accommodate myself to my son. I am I'm, I'm go to where he's at. Yesterday, I was using a little uh, fake lightsaber, and we were playing Jedi's. And I could have, like, whacked him really hard and hurt him. I chose not to, though, because that would not be good, <laughs> Right? Yet he comes back and whacks me fully, and he doesn't know how to accommodate to, you know, we're just playing, buddy, not chopping off my head. I accommodate to my son when we're playing. And the crazy thing is, though, that humanly, I, I change for the better because of that. I learn to humble myself, to not use the full force that I have. And God does that too, but the changing and the betterment is not something that needs to apply to God because his character needs no forming or bettering. And yet he chooses to, even in his transcendence, come and meet us in all kinds of various ways. So again, how does God deal with us? If I were to sum up these first few verses here in Jonah 5 through 8, it would be, he he, he deals with us through divine accommodation. He meets us where we're at, even when we're far from him, east of the city, even when we're wishing in a space of life to die. God still comes and meets us there. So what I want to do to help you apply this is to encourage you here. Open your eyes and ears to the communicating God. God is always communicating through his natural revelation, through his, through his word, and through other Christians. God is the communicating God. And I'm willing to bet in some way, shape, or form, whatever's going in your life, God is communicating to you in some ways. But here's the thing. Sometimes, as Israel became deaf and blind because of their idolatry, we can sometimes be in those spots too. So I would encourage you to open your ears and your eyes to pray for God to to help you do that, to see where he is communicating you. Maybe some ways to do that. Put down the phone. Get some silence and solitude. Get alone. Maybe it's on top of your morning devotional time or whenever you do it, reading the Bible more slowly, sitting, pondering, seeing what his word has to say to you. Maybe it's seeking the wisdom from others and saying, Hey, I, I know you know me well. It's a scary prayer or a scary question, but can you maybe tell me about myself that you think I need to, to, tell me about something about myself that you think I need to work on? God is always willing to communicate, always willing to meet us. And the question is, are we having soft hearts, open ears and eyes? to receive his communication. So again, how does God deal with us? He deals with us through divine accommodation. We're going to look at the last, at the latter half of these verses to see how he also deals with us. Look with me at verses four through nine. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Again, a repetition of what has already come in verse four. He said, do you do well to be angry? Now he says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Again, God is using the plant and the, uh, and the plant then being removed as an object of his mercy and justice. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry for the plant. Angry enough to die. And the Lord says in verse 10, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? I love the way the book of Jonah ends. It like ends on the word cow. So um, a couple of things to point out here. Jonah has gone and in, in sulking, and he's east of the city, and he comes back and asks the same question. Right? I'm, I'm sure many times we've had to repeat ourselves with um, our teenagers or our kids. The same question over and over again. Now here God comes using an object lesson to teach him something. And he asks the same question. Are you, are, you, are you good to be angry and angry enough for the plant now that he's introduced that? And, you know, he says, yes, I am. I'm angry. So God's working with John in that. Meeting him there again with the same question, but now having introduced the plant, he's willing to show him something about himself. Jonah has pity on the plant. I don't quite like that translation, especially the way that we like you know use the word pity. Uh, I think the NASB uh, uses compassion, and um, a couple other translations use care for. I think that's a a better way that we use the words um, that can be translated from the Hebrew there. So Jonah, you know, he has care for, compassion on the plant that popped up in one night and brought him the shade that he so desired. And God says, well, can I maybe have some compassion, some care for Nineveh, that great city? Jonah, again, when he says, um, when God asks, are you well to be angry, he says, yes, yes, I am well enough to be angry. Well, God responds that I, should not I pity Nineveh? He says, you, you have compassion and care for that plant. Well, I, I have compassion and care for Nineveh. Why? Because there's over more than 120,000 persons. And again, we shouldn't see that as a literal figure. 120,000 is a big number. One that the, the Bible uses in the Old Testament a lot. It shows that there's a lot of people there. A lot of people that God cares for. And also, it says in the text, more than 120,000 persons. It's saying that I should care for all those people. And I should care for them who don't know from their right hand from their left. What's that mean? Just like, or sorry, Jonah, Jonah and the Israelites have the privileged position of being God's chosen covenant people. And they have the law. The Ninevites don't. They don't know their right hand from their left, showing that they don't know the way of uh, the way of truth, the way of wisdom. They know the way of folly, perhaps, and that that seems to be the case. They have no law like Israel. Just like a kid who comes into your house may not know the house rules to take off the shoes, we should grant them grace when they do come walking in in their shoes, uh, even though that's a house rule to take them off. Right? They don't know their right hand from their left. What's this showing here in these last few verses? It's showing that God's mercy, right? He he didn't give Nineveh the punishment they deserved at that time. God's mercy, it flows from his compassion. It flows from his compassion for a lost people and for all people. Again, take into account that Jonah is part of Israel, God's chosen people and Nineveh's not, and yet God is showing Jonah that I still care for them too. I have compassion for all people, those that I have created, if we go back to Genesis 1. I again look at, you know, just again, a couple New Testament examples. Uh, Christ had compassion, and also I think this is uh, Moses Moses sees the people and has compassion on them. Well, Christ has compassion on the people. Sheep without a shepherd. We have a God who sees us even when we're far from him, even when we're lost. I thought of um, the movie The Good Dinosaur this week and kind of trying to think of how to illustrate this. So spoiler alert for you, by the way. Um, in the movie The Good Dinosaur, There is this dinosaur family, and there ends up being um, one of the young ones. His name is Arlo, and he's a small, puny little dino, and he's in charge of taking care of the corn that they're growing and then protecting. And they've had a little pest coming in and eating their corn. Well, Arlo, uh, to earn his uh, paw uh, print up on the silo, has to protect the corn and stop this pest from eating it. Well, uh, one day, they set a trap, and uh, the trap falls upon the pest, and the pest is like a caveman, and his name is Spot, and Arlo goes over there with a spiked club ready to take him out, and in and, and Spot, uh, 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 like a crazy caveman is just going wild. He's, he's, he's kind of like a dog figure in the movie. I, spoiler alert, by the way, so go watch it if you haven't. Anyways, it's, it's, it's a decent movie. Uh, Arlo goes to whack him with the club and take him out, and yet, In the movie, I think they do a great job of just showing for the split second the fear that Spot has in his eyes when he realizes this might be the end. And you know what Arlo does in responding to that? He shows him mercy, and he doesn't end up killing him, which ends up being a whole big fiasco, and that turns into the movie. I won't spoil anything more for you. (laughs) But what God is showing Jonah about himself is that Even though you don't see Nineveh this way, I see them as people that I should have compassion on. They're people who are created in my image, and I choose to have mercy upon whom I will give mercy. God shows his mercy to all people, and really, how does God deal with us through divine accommodation And through compassion. God cares for Nineveh, that great city, with all those people. What I want to remind you of to personally apply this these few verses is this: we need to constantly be responding to God's passion, compassion for us in in, in two main ways. I would say in comfort. And in repentance, we should be comforted by God's constant compassion for us. I shared last week that as a teenager, I felt like I was always one false step away from being um, just taken out by God. But God has compassion for us, He keeps giving us mercy and delays His justice that we might repent. But maybe there's nothing that you necessarily need to repent of. At least know this right now, that God cares for you. He meets you where you're at. And his compassion and his love is, willing, is, is there, w- being willing to be poured out upon you if you would receive it. Know that God is willing to meet you there. And then also this. God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. If we see God's mercy and his compassion for us and we aren't led to repentance, we have a stone heart. We should be led by God's kindness to repent, to turn from our ways, to turn around from the way that we've been going and go back and start over or leave that sin behind, whatever it might be. Because God's also making a point here. He says, that plant came up in a night and you didn't do anything about it, Jonah. That was just my pure mercy. But also, my justice is swift. God has the worm attack the plant. That's military language. He has the sun attack Jonah's head and the scorching east wind is sent. God delays his justice sometimes to give us an opportunity to repent But when his justice does come, it's often swift and it comes like a thief in the night. So I would ask you to repent before God's justice does come. Because it will eventually. You can try and run from God in your life. But eventually, whether it's here now or later, God deals with all humanity. The good things and the bad. Respond to God's compassion again for you with comfort and repentance. So again, how does God deal with us, deal with all of humanity? Through divine accommodation and through compassion. Through divine accommodation and compassion. And the way that he's done that in the highest way is typified in Christ. Christ is the manifestation of of divine accommodation and compassion. That's what I want to do to close here in this last movement, is talk about Christ being the manifestation, the revealing of God's divine accommodation and compassion. Perhaps you know the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And um, all of a sudden, then later, it comes down and says that uh, that the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. Did you catch that? That same word that was in the beginning took on flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. And then later on in John, John 3 16, probably the most popular Bible verse these days and has been for a long time. It says, For God so loved the world. And there in the world, it's not just talking about the globe but it's talking about all those who were enemies of God, all people who have sinned in any way, all those that were in the contrary ways. God is is saying that God loved even his enemies. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Through Christ, God meets us, And shows us his mercy. That is how God was able to be perfectly merciful and just. Through Christ's death and resurrection. Christ is the manifestation, the revealing of divine accommodation and compassion. Again, the word took on flesh and dwelt among us because of that love for us. So, thinking about that. I want you to think on the magnitude of it all. I mean, I think again, we've struggled maybe at times to see how broken and sinful we are, and this world really is. And, and again, we may live most of our life, if we're not in Christ, uh, thinking that we are okay. That. Everyone everyone else is wrong, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. But when we really sit and are honest with ourselves, we can't help but be staggered by our brokenness, I think. Let the magnitude of God's divine accommodation and compassion stagger us. Be awed by it. And again, also, repent. Turn back to him if you need to i think of the movie uh les mis again and the book but uh, i'm really thinking of the movie scene here again this was 2013 i think so like if you haven't seen it yet sorry spoilers um the character main character jean valjean he's now out of out of prison has uh been in prison i think for like 19 years because he stole some bread to feed his sister's family and it, it was a horrific sentence, and now he's out, and he ends up coming to a, a monastery. And there is a, a Catholic bishop there, um, Monsieur Miliere uh, Muriel, and he takes him in, feeds him, lets him eat with him. Again, Jean Valjean is in terrible state. He 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 looks like a thief. He looks like a criminal. He looks like he's served nineteen years in prison, and yet. He comes and dines with him. lets him have a feast, lets him sleep there. And what happens is in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean takes a number of uh, the monastery's silver items and runs away. The next morning, he's brought back by the local authorities and is brought before the, Cardinal, uh, the, the Catholic bishop. And they say, hey, this guy stole your stuff. And you know what he says? He says, no, no, I gave them to him. And he says, and he forgot the best. And he hands him two silver uh, candle holders too. And again, I don't have time to unpack what really happens, but that showing of mercy changed Jean Valjean's life forever. I pray that we don't forget what was done on the cross for us. And that showing of divine compassion. Because it far outweighs even what the bishop did for us. Or yeah, what the bishop did. Because Christ's death and resurrection far outweighs that for us. May we be brought to repentance because of God's kindness. It should stagger us and lead us to awe. And repentance. How does God deal with all humanity? With divine accommodation and compassion, which is ultimately summed up in Christ Himself. I pray that today, and really from this whole book of Jonah, that you'd be changed, that you would be somebody who is different because of this, who would see that God deals with stubborn people, even stubborn, stubborn prophets like Jonah. He's willing to meet you where you're at and ask you to do something about his meeting with you. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know. We're left wondering. We're left on a cliffhanger. But again, it's not about him. The book of Jonah is not about the fish. It's not about, again, Jonah, Nineveh, the Israel Israelites. It's about God and who he is. I pray that we remember he is willing to meet us because he loves us. And is compassionate for us. What I want to do to close here in further application and in prayer is lead us in a time of corporate prayer. Perhaps some of you have uh, been here for that before, maybe you haven't. Let me fill you in here for the last few minutes before we finish in a song or two. What we do in corporate prayer is just pause as a church body here and now to respond respond to music, respond to maybe God's word like we've just read. And, and, and expounded upon. And so what we're going to do is I will lead us out, and we're just going to sit in, in, in silence, sit in, in prayer, personally. But if you feel so led, pray audibly and loud enough for our church body to hear it. Because there's something, I think, special that happens when we pray together as a church body. Not only outside in prayer meetings, but here and now. We want to respond rightly to God. We want to respond to him here and now. So if there's been something, anything that has stuck out to you in the book of Jonah, I pray that maybe you would audibly respond or at least quietly do so in your seat. So I'm going to open us quickly, spend a few minutes allowing for those that want to pray out loud for our church body, and then we'll close and sing some songs. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask that you would help us respond rightly right now, that you would give us um, the ability to have softened hearts, to change in whatever ways we need to, and remember that ultimately the book of Jonah tells us about you. May we come away knowing you better because of it. Father, it's a challenge for us to, to be staggered by the immensity of your mercy, because we cannot comprehend your ability to forgive us. I just give you thanks that you have provided us the pathway to be with you in spite of all of such a kind of nursing. Joining sides in this terrible conflict in our nation now between different groups. But so we would be like, be uh, used by the people and enlighten them. Father, thank you again that you meet us. Pray that we go out from here today as we close on singing praises. People who are changed and who perhaps see you differently and long to know you more. We pray this in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.